Welcome to the Hillside Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're at in your faith, we hope this episode encourages you. If you enjoy the listen, let your friends know, and we'll catch you next time. Hillside, good morning. Yeah, this is the do-over service. Last week didn't, uh, didn't go so well. So this is the do-over service, and I appreciate you allowing the students to kind of invade this space. Uh, it is our goal and our purpose to start motivating and showing the students that they don't have to wait till they're out of high school. They don't have to wait uh, till they are in their careers to start putting back into the church, putting back into their local community. And so whether it is achieving things of purpose and serving down in the student building or up here in front of you or maybe in the children's wing, that is something that I want our students to see is that they have the ability to be impacting and, and involved in their church. And so thank you so much for letting us kind of be up here and invade this space uh, on any given Sunday. Um, so last, last uh, week, I had this really good idea. Uh, I had this really good idea to kind of spend the last day of the year because last Sunday was the last day of 2017, looking at something that paralleled in scripture with something that Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes, his, his last days of his life. And kind of looking back on his days and, and what he has learned throughout his life and passing that on. And I talked to Pete about it. Pete goes, hey, that's, that's a pretty good idea. And I never know if Pete says that just to get me out of his office or because he really thinks it's a good idea. But I'm like, all right, if he says it's a good idea, let's run with it. And then ice happened last week, little, little thin layer of ice. And whether you believe it or not, I don't know if you got out, but there were cars and ditches all over the place last Sunday morning because in Texas, you know, we don't spend any money on snow removal or ice removal. It makes sense, but we don't. And so this week, my great idea doesn't really work out as well. Okay, kind of failed. And yet, Starting off on this first Sunday of the year, I think that we can still kind of take this reflective note that Solomon took in his life and, and kind of think through what did 2017 look like and what does 2018 look like for us, all right? And so uh, we're going to look at Ecclesiastes, and, and what's interesting is that whether you realize it or not, 2017 came back to one question that is in your heart. And that is, what is my purpose? What is life's meaning? How do I achieve value? How do I achieve worth? Those types of things. And so whether you thought about it on a daily basis or not, that was impacting what was happening and motivating all of your actions through 2017. And it reminded me, as I was thinking about it, it reminded me, I'm reading a book right now called Lost in Shangri-La. And it's about a military base in World War II that is, that is a airstrip on Papua New Guinea, the mid-1940s. And this military base on it, one of the pilots was, was tasked with flying over Papua New Guinea and trying to find on this island another spot to set up an airstrip. They needed to find a flat spot because they had one base on one coast and then they had another military base on the other coast, but they wanted something in between. And so while they're looking for this airstrip and they're flying over this island, they don't find any flat or level ground to, to do it. But what they do see is they discover this tribe or all of these tribes that are in an area, this massive valley, and it's called the Balium Valley. And what stands out to them as they fly over it is, is kind of the amount 
of huts and the amount of, of communities that exist, tens of thousands of people existed and were basically unknown to man that were there. They had irrigation systems set up for their sweet potato crops. They appeared from the sky to be bigger than any other tribe that they had seen on the island of Papua New Guinea. They looked like they were seven feet tall. And so although they don't find an airstrip, they return back and kind of start talking about this valley. And everybody, it kind of takes this mystical, everybody's very curious on this military base, who are these people? And so throughout the year, they would continue to take kind of joy rides. They would take flights and show more and more military members these people, and they would terrify the tribal people by flying their, their airplanes over them, you know? And, and you know, but, but they, they, was just, they were curious about it. And on this one trip, really what the book is about is on this one trip, one of the pilots was not experienced. And he actually ends up in the fog, crashing into the side of a mountain. And so three people survive out of that. And they go on this, this, you know, this trip of their life, kind of trying to get rescued in the midst of that. But since then, what we have found about the people in the Balian Valley is they have this very unique approach and mindset about war. Like if we talked about war the way that we think about it or the way that, that war kind of is thought of in the rest of the world, we, we would think, well, it's either one country kind of trying to take over another country for wealth. Uh, it's an, one country taking over another country for land or, or maybe another port that allows them to, to kind of up their commerce. Maybe uh, we see it for as good versus evil at times. Well, the people of the Balian Valley don't view war as any of that. In fact, when they defeat someone else in battle, they just walk home. They, they defeat someone and they just walk home. They don't take over anything. They don't kind of sit around and, and grab all that they can grab. It's not about good and evil. It just exists in their culture. And from one generation to the next, it's just been passed down. That's what you do. You just go to battle, all right, take someone's life. And then you go back to your, your own home. In fact, whenever they show up for battle, one tribe will walk over to another tribe and they'll kind of like go up to the entrance of that tribe and be like, hey, is today a good day for battle? And if someone comes out and says, yes, today's a good day for battle, then they go at it. But if nobody comes out, they just walk home and say, well, I guess today's not a good day for battle. They just go home. And I'm just like, this is so odd. This is so odd. It's, it's basically like kind of meaningless. And yet... And yet, in the same way that, that God has, has ingrained in our hearts, in our souls, this desire to find meaning and purpose, and it echoes from one generation to the next. In the Balaam Valley, the, the men in the culture had ingrained in their minds this idea of what war was to the point where none of them even knew why they did it, outside of the fact that it had to exist. And so today we look at meaning and what's crazy is that this is something that Solomon talks about 3,000 years ago. That's why we can see that it's not like meaning or purpose only matter to our culture nowadays. If you look at historical context, meaning and purpose have always existed. It is ingrained in us. It echoes from one generation to the next. Now I say Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes because... Because, not because everything lines up. He never identifies himself. In fact, uh, he just 
he just says of himself that he's quoheleth, which means preacher or teacher or gatherer of a congregation. But there are a couple of things that kind of give it away that most likely it's Solomon that is talking. He's a king of Israel, he's a son of David, he has much wealth, and he's a pursuer of wisdom. He, he's, he lines up perfectly with Solomon. The only thing that doesn't make sense when people look back and say, is this Solomon? Is that some of the Hebrew that is used throughout Ecclesiastes is a little bit later time period than the phrases that would be used at the time of Solomon. And so possibly you have oral teaching that was passed down from generation to generation. At some point, somebody took Solomon's words and put them into writing is most likely what's happening. But everything we can see is inspired by Solomon. And he takes this question of what is life's meaning head on. And I'm gonna tell you, it's not fun at the beginning. It's not fun. Here's how he starts, all right? Listen to how he starts in Ecclesiastes 1 verses 4. He says, generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are never content. New mission statement for 2018, baby, right? He does not start out happy. This isn't like a, woo, go get it. What's interesting in the, the wisdom literature is that Proverbs is actually going to start with the point and then it's gonna tell you how to accomplish the point. Solomon in Ecclesiastes handles it another way, kind of like how we would handle a stubborn person. You tell them how to get something done. They don't listen to any of it. They fail, and then after they have failed enough times, hopefully they will eventually come back and say, how should I do this the correct way? That's kind of how Solomon is approaching our pursuit of life's meaning in Ecclesiastes, all right? Now, I have to admit, and for those of you that know me, students, for those of you that know me, you know, adults, I, I don't mind depressing things. Actually, uh, if I have a choice of a happy movie or a depressing movie, I would normally choose the depressing movie. All right, I'm kind of a little bit of a realist, and so I don't mind delving into those depths of myself like, oh man, life stinks sometimes, you know? My wife, on the other hand, has every single Christmas Hallmark movie on, the, on our DVR right now, okay? And I don't know how they pump those movies out. They do. I mean, I do know because they're all the same, all right? But I don't get it. I don't get how they just, one after another, they have like 30 new Christmas movies every single season and she's got all of them on our DVR. So, if you are on my side, this is gonna be perfect, okay? You're gonna enjoy <laughs> scraping the depths of human existence today to be redeemed at the end. And if you're on my wife's side, here's the thing. If you read Ecclesiastes this month, go read a chapter, go watch a movie, okay? <laughs> go read another chapter, go watch another movie because Solomon doesn't mind going there first, showing misery. And here's where he kind of pursues, uh, here's how he pursues this meaning. He looks for it in three different places. 
All right. The first one that I kind of want to look at, and it's, it's, caught, it's all intertwined throughout the book of Ecclesiastes, mainly on the front end of the book. But here's the first one. It's he goes after wisdom first. We all know that, that Solomon is a man of wisdom. And so he goes after wisdom and knowledge. And here's what he says in Ecclesiastes 1.18. He says, the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases sorrow. Now, there's a lot of different things this means, but you guys understand what it's like to grow up. And as you gain knowledge or as you gain wisdom, you have to come to grips with certain things about life that you had never thought about before as a child. And so Solomon says, as I pursue wisdom and as I pursue knowledge, the more I know, the, the more that I have to come in contact with these real life things that are taking place in this world. He also says about wisdom in, uh, in chapter two, verse 14, 15, I saw that the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die, so I said to myself, since I will end up the same as the fool, what's the value of all my wisdom? This is all so meaningless. So he says, if we're all gonna end up the same way, what's the point? What's the point of have, being on higher ground if the guy on higher ground and the guy on the lower ground all end up in the same place? And so he comes to this conclusion of in wisdom and in knowledge, you will never find contentment, peace, true happiness. You'll never find meaning. You'll never find purpose. And that's a very noble cause. Wisdom and, wisdom and knowledge is very noble. And he says, but you won't find it there. So another one he tries is work. And he comes up with a couple of things, a couple of conclusions as he kind of pursues work to find meaning and value. The first is he says, you achieve much, but sometimes it's at the expense of people that you love. Because he says, I look out and I see all of these men and women and they are working so hard to achieve and yet they have no one to share that with. They have no one to be able to, to live life with and love because they've put their lives into their work. And so that's meaningless. In Ecclesiastes 2, verses 18 and 19, he says, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave it to others, everything that I have earned, and who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will control everything I have gained by skill and hard work under the sun. Some of you as parents right now are feeling this because your kids are at the age where you're like, I had some money set aside for you, but I don't know if I really want to give it to you. I don't know that I really want to pass this on because you don't understand how hard I have worked to gain and to, to save up this wealth that you are just going to blow, all right, on PlayStation games and Xbox, on, on Candy Crush apps. You're just gonna blow it. And so he says, why would you work if after you're dead, everything gets handed over to somebody else and you have no idea what they are going to do with it? Why would you try to pursue meaning and value and worth in work? He also says this, and, and we all know this, in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. No matter what age you have been, when you start working, the goal is to always make more money. Whether you start at minimum wage, for me it was $5.50 an hour. 
I think for the students now, it's what, like 8.50, 7.50? What's the goal? Make more. Let me just make a little bit more. And every time that you make a little bit more, guess what? You are never satisfied. And so Solomon comes to this conclusion again, is work cannot bring you the true contentment and meaning that you pursue in life, that is ingrained in you. It will never happen. The last one that he goes to is pleasure. And he says in verses four through eight, he sums up that he doesn't deny himself anything. Doesn't deny himself anything. He has all the money he, he needs. He has all the power he needs to get whatever he wants. He has all the connections to get whatever pleases him. And then he sums all of it up in verses nine through 11. He says, so I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me. And my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. I even found great pleasure in hard work and reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless. Like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Nothing. He says, I got whatever I wanted. I built whatever I wanted. I did whatever I wanted. I bought whatever I wanted. And at the end of all of it, it was like chasing the wind. In Hebrew, there's a word for, the, for, for emptiness and vanity, hebel, that sums this up perfectly. It's like chasing the wind. You are never going to capture it. And yet... As dumb as that sounds, and as much as we can picture people out running around trying to catch the wind, on a daily basis, we come in contact with ourselves doing the exact same thing. And hopefully 2017 was not full of that, although you could look back and say, there were times, Mike. I'll be the first one to admit, there were times. There were times. But Solomon kind of trudges us through this, this meaningless and worthless life to bring us to the point. Like I said, Proverbs, he starts with the point and then says, how do you accomplish that point? Here, he's working the opposite way. Let me show you futility and then I'll get you there. And can I just make the note that the reason that Solomon starts so depressing is because isn't it depressing at the end of a month, at the end of a year, whenever you've been chasing the wind? Isn't that depressing? Don't you feel the void in your soul when it's been about work or pleasure or whatever you can gain? It's depressing. It's depressing when you watch someone that in their minds has achieved so much and yet they find no joy and no contentment and no happiness. And so Solomon in a very real way is just showing exactly what happens to the soul whenever that is your pursuit. And we feel that. We know the difference between buying a car and your car being your God. We know that difference. 
We know the difference between enjoying work and thinking that achievement and success at work is going to bring you true value. We know that. And we know what it is like to be depressed in those moments, at the end of those months, at the end of those years, and go, life doesn't make sense right now. And so Solomon is dragging us through this to get us to the point. And here's, here's how he concludes. In between all of this, in between all of this, he, he kind of, the beginning of Ecclesiastes to the end, there are some times where he gets proverbial, talks about life, talks about you know, the, the cycles of life and just time for everything, all of those things that you probably have heard as you've, as you've either you know, been teach or taught or, or studied through Ecclesiastes, all of those things, but he gets to the end in the last chapter. And this is what he says in chapter 12, 13 and 14. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands for this is everyone's duty. Now, I come from kind of a little bit of a legalistic background, and so I am trying, all the time God has brought me very far out of that. So those first two things, fear God, keep his commandments, I immediately have my red flashers going on in the back of my head like, what? This is just legalism, Mike. You can't do this. You gotta love. And we'll talk about all of that. But I wanna start at the, the end there. The, for this is everyone's duty. Let's start there first. I don't know if you've ever thought this, but maybe this is just kind of a pastorly thought because this is what I sit around and do throughout the week, is I, I've had the thought before, are there certain personality types that are more prone to the gospel or less prone to the gospel? Are there certain personality types that the gospel appeals to more or doesn't appeal to at all? And so let's just go to the extremes, okay? Type A, black and white, overachiever, you know, like to get things done by themselves, prove their worth, and then we'll go over here to the other side, the type hippie, okay? I don't know what they really are called, I just know they're the free spirits, okay? And as I've kind of thought through and analyzed these two extremes, okay, I lean more on the type A side. And you know what I've found about my heart and the people's hearts around me that are on this side in conversation with students and adults? is that if you're on this end, guess who's God? You. Because if you can just achieve more and work harder and prove that you are successful, then you get to be God. So the gospel doesn't appeal to you if that's, the, if that's where you're at. But if you're on type hippie over here, and there are some of you in this room, and I appreciate everything that you bring to Hillside in this church, all right? But you're a free spirit and it's just kind of like, yeah, man, I just read a book. And it's, it will change your life, all right? Oh, I just heard a song, and I have been influenced to a higher and deeper meaning of life, okay? If that's you, and every little wind kind of comes in, and you're like, oh, oh, and then the next week, oh, oh, the next week, okay? Guess what? You may not want to be your own God, but anything else can, right? You will find any way to replace God and find meaning in life. Sure, over here, I don't care about every article, I don't care about every book, I don't care about you know, every new, new song that's out, that, oh, change your life. Over here, constantly, I wanna be God. Over there, hey, let's just find a different God. Let's just, let's just find something else to put our faith in. 
And so when you come to a verse like this and it says, for this is everyone's duty, you know what that tells me? It doesn't matter what your personality type is. It doesn't matter what your age is. It doesn't matter if you are male or female. Everyone's duty, the only way that everyone finds true meaning in life is by fearing God and keeping his commandments. So if you're sitting in this room right now and you're in seventh grade, I see you back there, students, all right? You're in seventh grade. Or you're sitting in this room and it's been a long time since you were in seventh grade. It's been a while. You know what your duty is? Fear God, keep his commandments. That's the only way everyone finds true meaning and true value. Now, let's go back to fear God, all right? Because depending on what side of the spectrum you're on, on like the grace side versus the law side and just all of this, fearing God has a lot wrapped up in it. And we, we could literally take an entire sermon just to talk about fear God. But I have fallen into the category of being the one that's like, well, fearing God is just having a great reverential awe or fear in that way of him. Much like if we went to the Grand Canyon and stood on its edge, we would see its magnificence and its glory and its splendor, right? And we would have to stand there in awe over it. And that is a part of fearing God, is recognizing with great reverence, much more than I can even speak in human terms, who God is. And yet, that's not all of it. That is only a half of it because there is also wrapped up in this, in this command, fear God, there is also wrapped up the holy fear of God, the terrifying fear of God. If you read through the Old Testament, if you read through times where people came in contact with God's glory, they fell on their faces afraid that they would literally be absolved into nothing in front of God because they were unclean and he was not. He was righteous. And so wrapped up in this fear is, yes, a healthy, reverential fear of God, but there is also this holy, terrifying fear of who God really is. That at some point, there is judgment at some point, there is accountability in our lives for how we live. You know how I know that? Because the next verse in verse 14, here's what it says. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. There is an implication. There is an implication that these verses, in these verses, that the glory and reward that we enjoy on earth and in eternity will depend on the lives that we live here and now. Like Pete said, in the eternal living now, it's not just about here, it's about there as well. And there's an implication that what we do now impacts the rewards that we gain later on. Now, in the whole scope of scripture, obviously we know that Christ has come and he has replaced our sin with his holiness, and now we stand before God. And so the fear of accountability and judgment in that sense, we have peace with God. But in another sense, his eyes are always on you. There's a, uh, a Latin phrase, caram deo, or as we would say in Texas, caram deo, all right, woo! 
I don't know. Sorry, I'm not from Texas. This is just my impression of you. I'm sorry. <laughs> Woo, yeah, love Texas. Woo. All right. And it, it literally means, all right, it literally means under the face of God. Under the face of God. It is a reminder that God is always watching everything we do. Nothing escapes his notice and we must live for his glory. A couple years ago, my wife and I, uh, we were picked up by a student from the airport, a, a, a student that had graduated and gone to college. And she was back in town and we were flying back into town and so she came and picked my wife and I up. And she was telling me about some, some new things that were going on, some updates. And, and she said, Mike, I just want you to know that while I'm away in this college town, and as I watch my friends and we get invited to parties or go out and I watch them do certain things, I always think in my head, whatever I do, will get back to Mike. <laughs> Somehow, it will get back to Mike. And that thought terrifies me. I don't know how it will get back, but it, you will find out. And it keeps me from doing a lot of stuff. And in that same way, God is always watching everything that we do. And so this healthy and holy fear of God springboards us now into keep my commandments. Now what's interesting with keep my commandments is, uh, how, I don't know, I'm not gonna make you raise your hands, but if you're, if you're kind of reading along in the Read Scripture app that the church is kind of going through for any of you that, that wanna go through uh, the Bible in a year, in one of the videos that was recently on there, all right, or recently as in the last couple months, they talk about the connection between obedience and love all throughout Scripture, that, that there is a connection here. It's not just obey my commands in this very legalistic, like just go do what I tell you, but there is this connection between obedience and love with God and his people. If you, if you read through the prophets, I'm going through the major and minor prophets right now, it's very easy to see that you don't just obey to obey, you obey out of love that God has for you and then the love that you return to him. That's how you obey. Now what's interesting is that if you're a parent or a guardian or a leader in this room, when you make a law for someone or a rule, guess what? Love is attached to that rule, right? If, if you're a parent and you make a rule for your child, it is out of love that you are making that rule. And often when you're a child or if you're a guardian, the person that you have authority over, if you're a leader, same thing. If they break that rule, you know what you think? Don't you love me? Remember my parents saying that to me. You broke the rule, Mike. Don't you love me? And if you're on the recipient end of the rule, you go, what's love got to do with this, Dad? What are you talking about? But if you're the authoritarian, then you understand very, it, it, is, it, is, it is obvious to you that the rule and the obedience, all throughout that, Love is wrapped in that. And yet, just like us with God, we take his commands that lead to true life and we go, what's love got to do with this, God? I'll just make it about the rule. And yet he's saying, you want to live meaningful life? 
Fear me in a healthy and holy way and keep my commandments. Because at all moments, those things that I am asking you to do by loving God and loving others are leading you towards life. Just like a good father would give to a son that wants to see his son flourish in life, God's commands are doing that for us. And so, I think I gotta get going. I don't know what 2017 was like. I, I, I can't sit up here, I know some of you, I know we've had conversations. Some of you say 2017, I feared God and I obeyed what he asked me to do. But I know for me at times, fearing God and obeying him were not on my radar. Oswald Chambers, the uh, way that most of you probably know him said, said this. The remarkable thing about fearing God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. But if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And as Pete talks about the campaign and everything that's coming up, I'm gonna be honest with you, all right? I don't need pity. I don't, I don't, you know, I just want to be honest with you. 2017, in, in the nine years my wife and I have been married, was our worst financial year we've had up to this point. Everything that we have kind of saved for, everything that we have kind of put money away for, all had to start getting used up. And so when Pete talks about a campaign, you know what I'm afraid of right now? My bank account. How in the world am I going to give to this campaign? If anything, I need, to, I need to drop a little bit of what I'm giving to survive. And when I read that quote, I went back to, am I going to fear God? Am I going to do what he's asking me to do? To be generous? To trust? Or am I going to fear money? Am I going to fear wealth? Am I going to fear all those things that it could bring me? And that's the question that you all have to wrestle with because I know at the end of it, I know at the end of this, Solomon is the expert. He is the hyperbolic character in all of this. And grasp that. If you think you can outwork anybody, guess what? Solomon has you beat. You think you can find pleasure anywhere and you can buy whatever you want? Guess what? The king of Israel has you beat. His net worth is better than your net worth. You think you can be smarter than Solomon? Go read a library and he still has you beat. And if that guy, the expert on work, on knowledge, on pleasure says at the end of this journey you will only find emptiness. You will chase the wind the whole time that you pursue meaning here, then you better listen. Because you won't get to that point that he got to. He's the expert. And he says it's not gonna happen. And so my prayer for us is not to walk out of here depressed because 2017 may be wasted, but to walk out of here energetic and say, this is the community that we are going to be known for is to go out and fear God and keep his commandments. With the campaign that's coming up, with the way that we treat people in this community, whether you're an adult in here or you're a student that's in school, 
that all of us say, this is how Hillside will be known. Not as people that keep chasing after the wind, but people that keep chasing after God. May God remind us and lay those truths on our hearts throughout this year. Let me pray. Father, Father, thank you for these words. Thank you for their reality. Thank you for the point that is made through Solomon by you. And God, may 2018 reflect that we have a healthy and holy fear of you and that because of that, we want to obey and keep the commandments that you have given us in love and that we do it out of love for you that is returned because of the love that you have for us. Thank you for Hillside, God. Constantly remind us of these words. May this not be the beginning, God, of the year and then just end as we walk out of this building, but may it be the beginning that, that sends us into real, meaningful life in 2018. Thank you, Father, in your name, amen. Hey, thanks for watching today's message. We hope it encourages you wherever you're at in your faith. If you enjoyed it, let your friends know. We'll catch you next time.